You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Okay, beginning. Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Victor, and joining me is Mike Worthley. Hello, everybody. Mike, have you ever used Udemy? No. Well, now is the best time for you to try it. So the Apple Insider Podcast is brought to you by Udemy, and they are the largest marketplace for online learning. Whether you're looking to learn something new or just sharpen your skills, Udemy has over 65,000 courses starting at just $11.99. Students around the world choose Udemy to discover new passions, expand their skills, and even change careers. Visit ude.my slash appleinsider or download the Udemy app to learn anytime, anywhere. And, you know, listeners, if you haven't joined Stitcher Premium yet, now is also the perfect time. Stitcher Premium gets you completely ad-free episodes of hundreds of shows like Comedy Bang Bang, WTF with Mark Marone, and How Did This Get Made? You also get 21,000 hours of exclusive content. New exclusive originals like Marvel's Wolverine and Issa Rae's Fruit are launching every week for Stitcher Premium members. If you love podcasts, you're missing out. When you listen to ad-free episodes in Stitcher Premium, your favorite podcasters get paid. You can help support your favorite shows and join Stitcher Premium today. For a free month of listening, go to stitcherpremium.com and use the promo code APPLE. Mike. Hello. You remember way back in the dawn of time in 2016, when we were both much younger and dinosaurs <laughs> roamed the Earth. Seems that way, doesn't it? I know. The Earth was green. We had yet to spoil the environment. No. Uh, Apple had announced that they were going to make two data center projects, and they were going to put one in Viborg, Denmark, and the other in Athenry, Ireland. I do. The Denmark one is actually up and running. It got built mm -hmm. in contrast with the one in Athenry. And the one in Athenry was blocked because there, there, was a, there were residents in, in Athenry that appealed to the Irish planning councils to um, try and, and block the whole thing. They, they were concerned about the environment and the environmental impact of the, uh, the center. They were concerned about the strain on the Irish electrical grid. They were concerned about no plans being made public to cope with greenhouse gas emissions from the data center. Uh, yeah, I'm, you sound you sound frustrated. Oh, I'm not I say frustrated. I'm skeptical. Daly has a lot of money. Daly is an American-born and environmental engineer, and I think this has got more to do with his property values than anything else. So it, it's I I don't feel like Apple is going to drop down a data center without environmental concerns. Like for instance, in the other data center that's already done, they're using the waste heat to heat local homes. So. Assuming that Apple's just going to plunk this down and use Briggs and Stratton 16-stage reciprocating diesel engines for the power for this unit, and is it, it seems like a ridiculous assumption at its face. Uh, especially given that every other data center that Apple has built doesn't even use the local electrical grid primarily. They're all based on solar power installs that they're doing. Well, I mean, obviously, the nature of solar power means you don't have it all the time, right? But So there's got to be a tap into the local electric grid, but... I don't see where there's going to be any notable impact on on their grid at all. But in any event, the courts didn't necessarily agree nor disagree. There's been a long back and forth on this since the announcement. And now that the high court in Ireland has ruled that, yes, you can appeal this again, now we're looking at another several years of the process. So Apple said yesterday, as we record this on Thursday morning, that they were done and they're just going to do something else elsewhere. Right. So what happened is that the appeals process began. There were 
over two years of appeals, two years of going back and forth on this. And the project was initially approved, but they, they were basically told that they would have to start the appeals process over. And so that meant another two years easy, at which point Apple just washed their hands and said, we're taking our ball and we're going elsewhere. Thank you very much. Yeah, on on the other hand, I'm not sure that I Apple I, I'm not sure that I agree with Apple's statement saying that how many jobs they've added to the local economy with Apple's previous projects and things like that. Is it that's kind of a red herring. The data centers don't require a cast of thousands to maintain. There will be temporary construction jobs and then there'll probably be a hundred staffers in the data center. And in places like Prineville and in and in Maiden, North Carolina, they weren't necessarily locals that had the high paying jobs or people that came in from elsewhere to take the high paying jobs. So, I mean, obviously there's Daly's point of view, there's Apple's point of view and somewhere in the middle of those two points of view is accurate. Right. Now, Apple was being technically accurate, which is of course the best kind of accurate, but not telling the story that you were just saying, right? right? They they were saying we've spent over $550 million with local companies, yep. which is true. If you're doing construction, it costs, yep. right? And they, said that they've added 25,000 jobs up and down the country. Which is, I'm sure, also accurate. Right. But not talking about what the employment looks like at a single data center either. Right. This is the entire Ireland affair. This is Apple's European yeah. headquarters. So, of course, it's going to have support for 25,000 jobs up and down the country. One would think. But this wasn't the only thing that uh, Daly was trying to stop. Daly is also battling a $1 billion Amazon data center in Dublin. Now, this, this is interesting to me because it, it says that Daly is on a crusade and not so much about his property values because what, you know, it was, you'll be saying that he has property in, in Athenry and in Dublin, not, which is possible, but it's, it's more about Daly is fighting the big companies. I'm going to leave this as research to the reader. If people want to delve into Ireland's history with Daly, that's entirely up to them. I'm not in Ireland. I can't justify the travel. Go check on this in person. The guy is on a crusade of some sort, but I have a hard time believing that it's an entirely benevolent one in environment centric. Well, I mean, there's there's always the personal investment in this kind of thing where it's to the greater glory of Daly that he's the environmental crusader. Mm, possibly. Which isn't necessarily monetary reward, but it is one of those things that keeps people warm at night sometimes. Yeah, okay. Whatever. It's all speculation. Yeah, it's, but... it's all speculation and... Apple is completely justified in moving elsewhere at the data center, as as companies are wont to do when faced with long delays and they need something sooner rather than later. Right. Absolutely. We can find an expensive battle now or we can go to those things. So, moving next, mm -hmm. there's a rumor that suggests that the 6.1-inch LCD iPhone, which we've talked about at length before, will employ a MLCD Plus display that's the same kind of display that's on LG's G7 Think phone. Now, this is a Korean report, and the, the point of this display is that it offers 30% less power consumption while still being bright and hitting 100% of the P3 color gamut. So it, it does have reasonable qualities to be considered. Uh, the, the question is, if you do that, is that a more affordable display? I, I have serious doubts about this report in its entirety. In the So Business Korea is talking about this on Thursday morning, and they cited industry sources for the claim that Apple's going to switch from IPS, which has been used from for iPhones for a long time. The iPhone 10 has got OLED. Business Korea has got decent sources inside the supply chain, but they're terrible at guessing what Apple's going to do based on those sources. What we know for sure is that the G7 uses this display. 
What we know for sure is that LG makes this display. What we know for sure is that LG makes this phone. What we don't know is any kind of yields, exactly how much the screen costs in comparison to LED, which is a more mature technology. We don't know anything about reliability of the technology. And, and this is completely out of the blue. There, there are no contracts suggesting that Apple is going to do this. Apple has just told LG, uh, in accordance with some other supply chain sources, that your OLED screens are not meeting our quality standards and we need to work on it a little bit more. There's there's a lot of ifs here. There's a, there's a lot of questions here. And there's nothing suggesting that it's headed to the iPhone other than this one report. Well, and equally important is the the number of suppliers that can supply this part. We know that Apple does not like to have a single supplier nominated for a part uh, unless there's a real reason for it. And it you know, that they they you know, they have the Qualcomm modem and the Intel modem. They have had Samsung and TSMC doing different contracts for chip production. Mm-hmm. There there's benefits in making sure that you're not exposed by having a single supplier. Yeah. And Apple has been burned in years past by having single suppliers. So to switch to an MLCD plus part that can only be supplied by LG is a is a risk. And would you do that on a phone that's not your flagship phone, but is instead your phone that's meant to be more affordable? Yeah, there's there's a lot of ifs here, like I said, that just that don't make a lot of sense and don't add up for me here. If nothing else, you cannot say that Tim Cook is not a master of supply chain. You 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 can't say that he's terrible at the supply chain because he's reduced the amount of inventory that Apple has on hand at any given time. He's struck deals far in advance for things like memory chips and screens, like the OLED screens that are used in the iPhone X. That deal was struck with Samsung a long time ago. And the deal for Samsung was struck for about 160 million screens, which means that we're continuing in the future with OLED with Apple. I just, I'm just not seeing it. It's, it's possible. I think that we could see it at some point in the future. I just don't think we're going to see it this year. I, I, I too am a little skeptical. I, I feel like the yields question is a valid one. And the the costs have to work. It just doesn't it doesn't quite add up for me yet. Um, it's entirely possible that it could happen, and I'm all wrong. But it just isn't making sense. Well, sure, that's the peril of rumors, right? I mean, some of them are right, and some of them are wrong. And LG is going to sell maybe a million of these phones of the G7 Think phone or the Thin Q or wh- however you pronounce it. I guess I don't even know how you pronounce it. T H I N capital Q. So we know that they've made a million screens, but are they able to scale the technology for the screens to make 40 million of them in three months? We have no idea. Yeah. And and just because you can put out a million is a good indicator. It really is. But to be able to open up 40 more production lines and train workers and have everything's going to make that all happen is uh, it, it's scale introduces problems yeah. and scale shows you problems. It magnifies everything. Mm-hmm. It really does. You know, your, your parts yield may be perfectly sane at a smaller number of orders, right? If you're doing, you know, that, that that million doesn't say over what time period that million was produced. Was that million produced over three months? What's what's the per week kind of production scale? Yeah. And, you know, if your yield's fine at the per week, but you start speeding it up to turn out more units, does your yield go down? Do you get less good units out at the end when you're trying to go faster? You, you really see all the problems when you try and crank it up, and especially when you're trying to go to 40 million, like you say. So th- this is definitely going to be, we're going to toss this one on the wait and see pile, but I, like I, I'm not thinking for the 2018 flagships. The I'm reasonably certain that whatever Apple has in mind for the 2018 flagships is at the very least 95% solidified. And it six months ago, this screen wasn't even a consideration. When they started looking at the next design conservatively six months ago, probably longer, this this was the screen wasn't even on the radar. So 
seems it seems unlikely to me. Yeah, and well, it it, it is possible for them to to turn fast if they need to. Mm-hmm. You know the but but it is unusual. There needs to be a real motivation for that. You know, if if it was the same connectors and the same physical size and a drop in replacement, then then sure it could happen. But uh, I'm with you. Wait and see. Now, yesterday, there was formally announced a drone program that consists of 10 projects across the U.S. where drones are going to be used for commercial purposes beyond the existing kind of testing that the uh, U.S. FAA currently allows. And one of those projects has Apple participating, working with a firm in North Carolina. The the participation looks like it's intended to help improve Apple Maps by taking high-resolution images from the drone that can be used to acquire data on road layout changes and increase the quality of the app's flyover feature. Uh, yeah, Apple also says that things like faces and license plate numbers are going to get blurred, and, and that's great. It, it's how they've always done it. it I'm, I think that this might be more of a case that Apple wants to see exactly what they can get away with. This isn't going to be a national project. It's going to be more local to the North Carolina data center with a possibility of expansion. And, and again, this is just early testing. This isn't this isn't a wide rollout. We're not going to expect to see Apple drones buzzing down your street, except you know maybe more than once or twice to get these maps. It's, I mean, we'll see. Apple has been using drones for Apple Maps data for a while. In addition, with the minivans that it uses, it, it's. You know, I, I keep saying we'll see, but this is only part of a larger project, obviously. So it, it's what else we got here that was declined is Amazon was told that it could not use drone deliveries in New York. Uh, DJI has been completely rejected, but they've had problems with the army and the Navy as far as location identification goes. Uh, so th- this rigorous process, this is just the start. Now, th- this is them using drones in a limited test kind of set. Right. This is a trial, basically. Right. Um, it's entirely possible that if the trial expands, you know, if they, they, they do well and they get approval for the trial to expand, that you will see these kinds of things going around. Uh, I was a little bit interested in the, the words you used where you said this is Apple seeing what they can get away with. What do you mean by that? I, I think that Apple applies for permission to do a lot of things. And I think that they push the frontier, like, for instance, famously with the original iPhone, is they had a lot of discussions with AT&T about bandwidth on the on the then 2G network with the iPhone. And they really, really strained the network. I, and I, I, there's a lot of things that Apple does because of the scale that you're talking about that I think that they look at asking for permission, asking for forgiveness later rather than full permission before. Does that make sense? And I, and does anyone really see a big future for Apple drones? Are, are we expecting to see one on the retail store with a big old Apple logo on the top of it? Well, so here's the the thing, right? Flying a drone is relatively inexpensive. Sure. F- driving cars all around the country is quite expensive. Yes, especially since they're manned. Uh, well, they're manned, and there's fuel and maintenance mm-hmm. and fleet costs, and uh, it, it, it's 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 consuming. It really is. You know, if you spend a couple of grand on a drone that flies in a limited area but can return home and recharge, versus cars and hotels and fuel mm-hmm. and main, it's just a it's a different scale of cost. And you don't do it once, right? You have to go back periodically and redo it because things change. Right. You know, I have I have seen. Google Maps vehicles driving around my area several times over the past couple of years because they they know they need to go and remap. Yeah, the the Google Maps for my house was taken nine years ago. Um, a couple of miles away from my house is one of those La Quinta long stay hotels kind of things, yep. and I regularly see a Google Maps vehicle parked there. Okay. Now they don't do my house and my driveway every every three months. You know, it's closer to about 
five years mm -hmm. because not a whole lot changes around my house. <laughs> but in the area as a whole, there's there's new construction. So yeah, they got to do it. And and that's you know Google's idea was they wanted to map the whole Earth. That's why they were doing this with the oceans as well. But I'm I'm kind of curious. What I'd like to know is what local company they're working with. They're serious. They're working with a firm in North Carolina as well. I wonder who that is. Yeah, we tried finding that information a little bit earlier today, and we're going to keep pulling the thread on that. And we're, we'll see we'll see what pops out on that one. The one that I find fascinating is the use of a 1,500 pound drone to monitor mosquitoes in Florida. But I mean, that's not Apple. That's one of the the projects that that's, was approved. Uh, flirty. No, that's not flirty. That's that's yeah, it is. That is flirty, isn't it? They're using medical equipment to heart attack victims in Nevada yeah, and yeah, the 1,500-pound drone and mosquitoes in Florida. Yeah, flirty is the medical equipment. I don't know who's doing the drone in, in Florida, but man, that is a drone, a 1,500-pound drone. That's borderline helicopter right there. That's that's not a quad rotor. That's like an octo rotor. <laughs> I would think at least. A deca rotor. Still want to see it? Uh, monitoring mosquitoes in Florida is serious business, right? We had the Zika virus that was transmitted by mosquitoes a couple of years ago. Um, it didn't really reach the U.S. very well. It was mostly a South American problem, I think. But transmission of diseases by mosquitoes is a big deal. Monitoring them is huge. Yeah, well, with a huge drone, so. Yeah. And, and of course, the kinds of problems that the FAA is looking at are flights over people, uh, safety, and, and things like that. They're, they're really concerned about the safety of the airspace and the safety of people on the ground. So these are the sorts of considerations that are involved. And that's why, you know, you, you can't just – go and and use your drone for commercial purposes without getting some kind of clearance through them. We really need to figure out who those firms are that are working with Apple on this. Yeah, we're, we're going to well, – we're, we've got some people we're going to call about it, but uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't immediately obvious at press time. Other winning projects were things like agricultural, package delivery. You know, as you said, the, uh, the, the New York one for Amazon was denied. Uh, drone flights near airports. I wonder what that's about. Mm, don't know. I mean, I suppose you could fly them around the periphery of the airport for security purposes. Um, pipeline and an environmental monitoring. That makes sense. Well, yeah, I'm perfectly fine with that one. I, I actually saw one where a nuclear plant is looking at provide, uh, looking at uh, monitoring and maintenance tasks with them, which makes sense. Yeah. How, how do you check the size of the cooling tower? You send a drone up. So Yeah. Th this is something that you and I have talked about in the past, which is the... Apple TV app and Apple's third-party subscriptions. And I think we, we've talked about the the sort of weird arrangement that you have where you can subscribe through things using your Apple ID mm -hmm. for third-party services. Yep. So the, the story here suggests that you'll be able to go ahead and subscribe to these third-party TV services through the TV app instead of having to also have the third-party service app do the subscription there and then just simply access the content through the TV app. Does this come as a big surprise to anybody? I mean, it, it's great that they did the work on this and they found the sources to say that the TV app is going to be a central spot for subscriptions to video services, but come on. Is, is this rocket science? Is this some kind of mass revelation that this was the end goal for the TV app? It's just looking at, well, I don't know that it's the end goal for the TV app. It's just another goal sure, for the I'll TV go with app. That. It's, if, if you did not see this coming when the TV app was launched what three years ago now yeah come on this is this is obvious. failure of this vision is, right yeah. this is and i sound frustrated about this because well because i am because it was reported again by bloomberg and it's another one of those things where they've got one little tidbit of information which which isn't really a sources said maybe sources did say but it's 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 kind of a no s kind of thing it's it so it's, let me ask you're you're frustrated because this has become a story out of something that feels like it should not even be given the time of day. This, this became a story and is obvious. 
this is the obvious evolution. And if you are an Apple Insider reader, you read this story yesterday and said, okay, no kidding. But now we've got other venues outside saying, wow, what an amazing revelation that we've got that the TV app is going to be used to subscribe for services. Oh, my goodness. What a shock. Let me ask you, Mike, do you subscribe to these third-party services that you have subscriptions to through your Apple ID? Some I have and some I have not. It really depends on the situation. I thing is, I try and keep my subscriptions to a minimum for a number of different reasons. It's, it's easy for those costs to escalate out of control when you don't need something for more than the initial month. Yeah. So where I will subscribe to things is where things are the easiest to subscribe to, where I have the least amount of friction to subscribe to it. The the benefit of using the Apple ID to subscribe to all of these things is that you then have the central location yep. to manage those subscriptions. Yep. However, I have found the pitfall through personal experience. Um, what happens when a subscription cancels or expires without your requesting it to be canceled or, or, or expired? So here's what happens. Um, the service provider points the finger squarely at, well, you subscribed through your Apple ID. It's not our fault. Mm-hmm. Apple doesn't tell us anything except it cut off. Good luck. And there's no one to talk to at Apple about it. Sure. And so you're sort of left in the middle with with no nothing to do other than try and resubscribe. And I've had this happen now six times. <laughs> no, six times is an exaggeration. Let's let's be clear. It's more like uh four times. Okay. Where I have subscribed using my Apple ID to a third-party service and will use it for a couple of months and then be unable to use it and I'll go and check the subscription and find that the third-party service provider believes that it's expired, that it's canceled. Okay. And I'll ask them what the deal is. And they say, well, they point the finger at the other guys. They point the finger over at Apple. And so I'm in this sort of cycle where I keep redoing this. And each time the third-party service provider says, but if you just subscribe directly through us, you wouldn't have this problem. And they're probably not wrong. But the question is, do I trust giving them all of my information in order to subscribe versus Apple protecting that information? Yeah, that's a whole other matter. It's Well, but it's a part of it, right? So what's happening here, I think, and this is my suspicion, but if we're, if we're putting on our, our um, aluminum foil hats, our aluminum foil garments, the, uh, the, the third-party service provider wants that information. And without it, they have no way of reaching or touching the customer, Sure. right? And so they are willing to cut off the service provider, cut off the subscription on the basis that they think you'll notice and come back to them. And then they can tell you to come do it directly through them. They're willing to take that risk of losing you in order to get the information. Doesn't that seem bonkers? Uh, I mean, there's a lot bonkers about a lot of different aspects of all this. Number, you know, number one is the shift to everything being software as a service or subscriptions to media or that kind of thing. But I mean, that's a topic for another day, which I'm sure we'll delve into at some length as this continues to escalate. But you're right. I mean, data, data is a commodity. Your personal data for sure is a commodity. So, and you're right. These, these subscription services, they want your personal data to, you know, they say it's to tailor the service to what you want, but I mean, it's to remarket let's be honest. You. Yeah. It's to remarket you and to try and upsell you on other services. That that's really what it's about. Now the disconnect between Apple and the services that it would be great if that was better. Your, your experience in that is not unique, I'm sure, but it's, this is the thing is with, Apple doing this with the TV app, with allowing for subscriptions to video services, and ultimately its own videos, which is really what this is about, is is unsurprising as long as it works. There, There is a real benefit to being able to open up one app and go ahead and sign in or subscribe sure. directly to all the services sure. right there. 
you know, if, if we're talking about what is the fastest out of the box experience, placing them all in one place really does work. But it's, it's not there yet because in order to have the TV app be able to do that, you still have to have those other apps installed. Mm-hmm. And so you have to have gone and installed those applications unless Apple's going to ship them pre-installed, sort of the way they, they were hardwired in on the third generation and before Apple TVs. Well, given Apple's hooks with the App Store, I don't think it would be a huge stretch to say, hey, I want to sign into Larry's video provider. And it downloads Larry's video provider app for you after you've signed up for the service. I don't think that's a huge stretch there if that's how they want to yeah. continue doing that. I'll give you that. That's not terrible. Hmm. Mm-mm-mm. Goodness. But I mean, here's the thing. If you don't think that Apple wants to be the core of your daily life and your experiences and your subscriptions, and if you don't think that Apple wants to take that percentage for enabling the subscription, I I don't know what to tell you because this has clearly been Apple's goal for some time. Well, it's the thing we talked about last week. They're still trying to figure out how to win the battle for TV. And by centralizing it through them as the portal, that is is one way of winning. And and thinking about portals is really old school thinking, right? It goes back to Yahoo and AltaVista. What is your portal to the internet? Mm -hmm. So by making the TV app the portal to all of the third-party services they can, that puts them front and center. Right. Between that and and Siri being able to index and search all of these third-party services – that makes them the portal. It does. There, uh, I, I still wonder if they they are behind a little bit by not integrating into a television set, so that you aren't compelled to go and buy the device after the fact. Yep. Kind of. Thing. We talked about this a little bit last. That week. That was last yeah. week's, but I'm still thinking about it. Right, well, clearly, <laughs> it's it's you know if we're talking about what's the fastest way to get someone into your your world into your world of services, that would be it. You know, I, I was thinking about this again when the uh, the newest Android TV device surfaced mm-hmm. this this week as a part of the Google I/O stuff. You know, Google's in a weird place because they have Chromecast, which is embedded in all of Vizio's sound bars and TVs, but they also have this Android TV thing that they haven't done a whole lot no, with in not, a few years. Yeah. And so they're going to go ahead and make this push to put Android P, the newest version of Android, on this TV device. And they sent out a survey to developers saying, you know, you're developing apps. Tell us what you like about Android TV, and we'll see if we can get you a review unit. And it's it's still kind of unclear. We saw last year's I.O., they had some nice things going on with the voice. They were trying to do things similar to what Apple's doing with their Google Play services. But it didn't really materialize into anything. Yeah, I, it's Google's efforts. Uh, there was a joke on Twitter that I saw that the 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 commenter said something like, Hey, look, I.O. is two hours old, and Apple's and, Apple, and Google's already released six incompatible messaging services. And, uh, well, the, the thing is, the joke's not that far from the truth, right? There, there, yeah, there's truth to that. Well, that's what makes jokes funny in the first place, right? Yeah, there's a lot of scattershot that Google likes to do, and and we'll be talking about Google a little bit more later in the podcast. Yeah. Apple Watch. Johnny Ive had an interview with, uh, with a watch blog, and he said in there that the Apple Watch was one of the first post-Steve Jobs products, that, that Steve did not wear a wristwatch outside of the uh, the early days pictures, but during the time that Johnny knew Steve, you know, 1997 forward, that Steve wasn't really into wearing a wristwatch at that point in his life, and that they didn't really talk about watches until after Steve had already passed away. I People have said to me recently that we're at the tail end of the Steve Jobs-inspired projects, and I think the tail end of the Steve Jobs-inspired projects was years ago, and, and this is fuel for that fire. I, I don't now, we know that the iPod 6th generation Nano 
was worn as a wristwatch. Companies like Lunatic and, uh, you know, famously made the wristwatch strap that was a huge Kickstarter project that eventually graduated to selling through Apple retail. Uh, Apple's firmware update for the Nano gave it watch faces. Bill Campbell, who was on Apple's board, told them that they should be a wristwatch, and they said as so much in the uh, the keynote where they announced the Nano. So they, they certainly did have a little bit of thought for it. And we also know that the Lunatic wristwatch uh, band was used when they were prototyping the Apple Watch. They, they used Nano cases and put Apple Watch guts in the early ones and put them in the Lunatic wristwatch strap to practice wearing the Apple Watch before they built the Apple Watch. Um, and that's fine and good, but it, it also doesn't necessarily mean that Steve was deeply involved in the project. Right. By the time that stuff was happening, Steve was really at his uh, worst declining health and, and probably was not involved. Yeah. Now, I want to take a small bone to pick here because Johnny spoke with Hodinkee, which is uh, run and founded by Ben Clymer. And Hodicky bills itself as the uh, world's leading online wristwatch magazine. Okay. Online magazine's a little funny. They're a blog. <laughs> uh, um, world's leading is also a little funny because that, that title goes to people like a blog to watch where I used to write. Um, so, yes, I'm a little bit biased. It, the biggest issue I had with the article was that the first five paragraphs, which were like 10 sentences per paragraph, are about the author, not Ive. Well, yeah, because Ben Clymer wrote it, it. It, It's great that you did this interview with Ive, but realize that Ive is the show, not the author. That's it. If you're Ben Clymer, Ben Clymer's the show. Okay, I, I, I don't know Ben. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know a lot of his writing, and... To Ben's credit, he's managed to get some cool partnerships with some of the big Swiss watch companies to get them to make limited edition runs for Hodinkee. So they've they've made a, a Zenit watch, which is a very nice, beautiful watch. They've made uh, a, I think they made a Philip Patek with him, and they're all about the greater glory of Hodinkee. Yeah, I, it's okay. Yeah, y you know, I'm, I I've said my piece. I, I mean, Thank I'm, you. I'm not going to lie. I have put in personal anecdotes and some how tos, like my home server article. Of course, but. Man, not like well, this. But especially relevant there because your home server has to be built to serve your right. needs just as it would be for any of our listeners, right? If our listeners are setting up home servers, it needs to take into account their needs. And your anecdote helps illustrate that. It's perfectly reasonable, right? Yeah, I just didn't mm. – It's not anyway. about the glory of Mike setting up a home no, server, is it? No. Anyway, yeah. I mean, all hail the glory of Mike setting up a home server, but – <sighs> yeah, anyway, let, yeah, let, there, there, let's move on. That was yeah. my Mike's side the, for the, the story. The story go. is I've <laughs> in his early production of the Apple Watch and the fact that there is an entire team devoted to it that don't do anything else with an Apple and nothing to do with what the author had for breakfast. And the biggest part that we picked up on there is it's interesting that, 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 that I've said, addressed publicly – that this is the first post-chief product. Yeah, well, he, did, he didn't say it was the not, first. Not the first, but no, but that this was definitely the, a post-chief yeah, definitely, product. definitely a post-chief product. So. Because they haven't really talked a whole lot about where that delineation lies. Do I don't they think they it? ever will. I, I, I think that we'll get it anecdotally and things like this, but I don't, I don't think that – I think they go out of their way to not say what is a jobs project and what was a jobs project. I, I think they very specifically blur that line. And I think they do it because there's a lot of talk about – this wouldn't have happened if Jobs was alive, which is nonsense. And we've talked about right. This, this and we've feels like this before. is the most directly they've ever addressed it, it that is, question. It is. The uh, I, I think they blur that line so to keep the thread of continuity going. Sure. That that this terrible thing happened, and they're all they, they all have a hole in their hearts over it, but they they are continuing in the same vein. Yeah, I, and I completely agree that that's what it is. But you know and. You know what? I'm actually done on that tirade. I'm not going to 
talk about the if Jobs was alive arguments because I'm on record for saying that they're silly. So I, I think there is utility to them occasionally, but I think that the vast majority of those arguments are poorly framed and poorly made. That 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 there is a place for them, but they're rarely used correctly. Okay. Now this one, this I love. Google Assistant. Yeah, uh, this was a thing. The what I'm, I'm going to talk really quickly about what I thought was the impressive part. It wasn't the natural speech that got me. It was okay. Give you give us the background because I just said Google oh, Assistant. Okay, tell, tell help bring, bring our listeners in a little okay. bit. Tell well, us what's going good. on. Google I/O is this week, and that's their big WWDC like event. And they have it outside, and I always feel sorry for the poor SOBs in the back row because man, I tell you what. Get some Google sunscreen or something on those guys. Well, it used to be inside Moscone, yep. but they've been putting it on at uh, Yerba Buena Gardens. Yep. Anyway, that's neither near, here nor there, but all I could see okay. in the back when they scroll back is people hold, holding a screen up to their eyes uh, to, to block out the sun. But anyway, what they did is an, a new update to Google Assistant, and they first talked about natural conversation. They talked about having your kids say please and thank you to it and... and and accommodations to the children because of it, but most and, and continued conversation, right. continued conversation where you you engage and it remembers contextually what came before. Most importantly, what they had is Google Assistant calling a real human and having a conversation with natural language with a real human to schedule something. And they and they did two sample conversations, which I guarantee were the best ones that they did. The first one was very straightforward. There was no miscommunication. There were no assumptions. There were no accents to deal with. None of that. And it was a hair salon appointment. And the Google Assistant inserted ums and conversational pauses to make it sound like it was a real person, whether or not- Vocalizations. Right. The second one was in conversation with a restaurant where it was a loud environment in the restaurant. The the hostess was accented. And the Google Assistant still made it through. And it was a, it was a very positive thing. I'm not certain what the- end goal of this is because it's ultimately going to end in two AIs talking to each other. And <laughs> why not just have those I, AIs well, interface? No, but I don't think it does end in that yet. And here's why. Oh, not this year. Hair salons and and food establishments, restaurants and such, are at the very end of the long tail for adopting technology. You know, I, I was reading online, one of the uh, the VC kind of guys was saying, this is silly. Everyone should just use OpenTable. And if they aren't using OpenTable, why would you want to go to a restaurant anyway? And <laughs> well, that's super elitist. That's right a there. very San Francisco kind yeah. of attitude because, first of all, small business owners, especially people like who are running hair salons, do not want to buy into developing a website that can take scheduling or buy someone else's service that can do that because that's money out of their pocket. Mm-hmm. You know, their po- their their whole thing is being able to process payment like Square or PayPal, which a lot of them use, to be able to take money. And they'll answer the phone for scheduling the appointments, and that's it. And they schedule in a paper book. They don't schedule into a Google Calendar. There's nothing about this that is interesting to them to turn technology on for. So if you need to schedule a hair appointment, you have to use the phone. Great. Let Google Assistant negotiate that for you. And with restaurants, OpenTable, great when it works. But it's a cost to the restaurant to be able to have open table compatibility, and they hold tables back. So there are tables that are allowed to be reserved for open table, and when those fill, they're filled, and you don't see the availability. But if you call, you can still get a table. And so you, your best bet is to call. Again, restaurants don't have any interest in in dealing with technology. Seamless, the and Grubhub, the uh, the the food ordering services. You know how they do this? They take your order online. And then they send a fax to the restaurant because the restaurants did adopt fax machines a few years ago. 
And I understand this, that. But this does not end in two AIs. This ends in a, in a person endpoint because restaurants are so long away from adopting so. this stuff. I, I, think it ends in a, I think it ends in a $200 Google dongle that you plug into a television set that'll answer your phone so you don't have to. I think that's how this ends for the hair salon. Not a, not a standalone um, box, not a square box, not a cash register, but a $200 box that you can let sit in the corner and you don't have to pay someone to answer your phones or you don't have to stop fixing the 70-year-old lady's hair to go get the phone. Until Mary five seats down to make an appointment. Yeah, so hair salons don't use landlines. Each each uh, each person uses their own cell phone. So what you need to have is Google Assistant in your cell phone to answer your Fine. incoming call. Then then a plug connect Google Assistant on your phone to the television, and that's it. Done. Story's over. So uh, that's I think that's what we're looking at here. I think we're looking at some kind of Google provided solution, inexpensively to have these mom and pop shop mom and pop shops to take these calls and to take these answers for them so they don't have to deal with the phone. It's not this year. It's not next year. It's not the year after that. It's coming. And it's coming sooner than maybe some of us are comfortable with. I, I think it's interesting solving this problem, though. And and we know that Google was good at understanding humans with accents, but being able to carry on the phone conversation contextually and reach a successful conclusion is very interesting. Oh, sure. And it's it's something that... I have to say, I, I think Siri is pretty far behind. I on. think it is as well. It's I, I think that given what Google just demonstrated, even though Google doesn't necessarily ship everything they demonstrate, for instance, the photo rectification, we're taking offense out of a photo you can do with Google uh, Photos. The, the, never things, the, the things they do at I.O. more than likely tend to ship. Okay. Not always, but almost sure. always. That's kind of a side joint, anyway. There, the, yeah. It's it is it signifies what the technology can do, and it also signifies that Siri at present is lacking. Yeah. And you know, yes, I work at Apple Insider, but yeah, I also take Apple to task when it needs to be. And Siri is behind. Siri was behind before I/O. And look at the primary complaints about the HomePod. Apple has said that it it's a limited subset of Siri. Well, yeah, you know what? It's a little too far limited. Mm-hmm. And, and I've, I'm just not seeing the improvements in the iPhone that I was hoping I would see when they rolled it out the first time and did that first practical demonstration of the technology. You know, I, let's I, talk. I, go ahead. I, yeah, go ahead. I, I'm done. I, I, I want to keep us moving here. So they also announced a couple of other things that I want to talk about briefly. Uh, we still have a little bit of time here before we go. Android P, yep. new version of Android. Uh, does a number of things, including things that that had been suggested that Apple should adopt in the past in terms of battery management, usage, you know, revealing usage to the user so that they can understand how much time they're spending in any given application, um, and, and really making the the phone adaptive in terms of conserving battery. I think that's coming. I, I, I'm not too concerned about that because I think that has been in the works for a while. One of the things I'm disappointed is that they've decided they're going to limit it to a specific set of phones that they're going to release it on and that the Nexus 6P is not one of those. I'm completely not shocked at that revelation. Given the fact that O is on 3% of their installed base, I, what, seven months after it was released? Yeah. Three whole percent. Well, I have O on the 6P. The 6P launched with, with Android uh, Marshmallow. It got Nougat. It got O. But it's a two-year-old device, and as a two-year-old device, they really ought to be able to do it. And what's interesting is that in the source code for the AOSP, the Android Open Source Program, um, it shows that they did attempt to compile it against Nexus 6. Sure. So I don't know if the decision is a political one or it's a um, performance uh, one. It, it could be either, and we're it's, never going to know. It's not sure yet. Yep. Yeah. 
the other thing that was interesting out of this is what they're doing with uh, Chrome OS on Chromebooks. And that's that's so that we, we've known in the past that they were going to allow the running of Android applications on Chrome OS. Mm-hmm. But they are also now going to allow the running of full Linux desktop applications on it. Yeah, I saw that. I, I'm not sure how huge an impact that's actually going to have. I'm glad that they're doing it. It's good that they're doing it. But I, I think this is another one of those things that a, a very small percentage of people are saying right now, oh, man, what a good idea. How great is that? And well, so, 90% of them are just like, mm, whatever. And 90% of them should be like, whatever, because 90% of them don't even need the Android applications right. for the most right. part. But what it does is it says that – so here, here's the thing. Um, people that use Chromebooks are, by and large, mostly education customers. Right. There are some business customers, right. and there are many security professionals. Sure. And security professionals love it for the same reason that IT administrators do, which is if something happens to it, you reboot it. It's got secure boot the same way mm-hmm. Mac OS X does or Mac OS does, and or you can just throw it away and sign in on some other machine, and you're no longer vulnerable. Uh, they're running Linux in a sandboxed VM. If you need some application that runs on Linux as a part of your workflow – you can have it without necessarily jeopardizing the security of the rest of the system. And and what a nice, convenient kind of thing sure. for what is essentially a you know, $150 to $300 computer. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I agree that, it, like I said, it will have proponents. It's just not going to be – Google wants this to be this widespread thing, and, it's, and that's how they pitched it. Hey, look, now everybody can run Linux. This will be great for education. They don't care. Well, they do yes not and no. care. Yes and no. Yeah. And and education doesn't care about Linux because no one's shown how it helps right. them. But it is it is an intriguing move. You know, I we, we go back twenty years to when we were talking about next year will be the year of Linux on the desktop. And uh well that, that <laughs> that's that's one way of framing this if you're looking at an IO properly mm-hmm. through the right kind of lenses, I guess. Like Google lenses. Yep. I see what you did. All right. That's what I was hoping for. We've reached the end of a perfectly good episode of the Apple Insider Podcast. It seems like we've just blown through this one. Well, it, it's a strange week for news. It's not crazy like the last couple of weeks have been, but there are enough things with impact. And we didn't even talk about the Intel flaws that are coming. That's we still got to wait on that one. I mean, there's but because such... they've delayed their fixes, we still have time to yeah, talk about. Yeah, I that. mean, there, there's a lot that you can kind of see rumbling on the horizon, like thunderstorms that are gathering outside my window right now. But uh, those are a topic for another day. Mike, where can people find you on the internet? can find me at Apple Insider, well, frankly, every day of the week, Monday through Friday and Saturday and Sunday. Or you can find me on Mondays at my slightly saltier podcast, spacejavelin.com. There you go. Uh, I'm your host, Victor. My Twitter is at vmarks. And I write here at Apple Insider and also at wristwatchreview.com. Come check us out over there, too. Thank you so much for joining us. Please email us at news at appleinsider.com with tips, questions, requests, anything that you'd like us to do differently or change coverage just for you. We'd be happy to consider that and talk to you for it. Thank you so much. We'll be back next week. We will catch you all later. Goodbye, everybody.